podcast one production. Hello, I'm Gary Megan and welcome to A Plate to Call Home, where we explore the stories behind the food that we all love. They run what has become an iconic Melbourne Institute. It's one of the sweetest places you're ever likely to set foot in, and it's called Birch and Purchase. This shop has some of the most exquisite cakes and desserts you can ever imagine. Some of my favourites, the gold bars and the verines. You'll have to pop in to see what I mean. And as far as I'm concerned, it's run by one of the hardest working hospitality couples in the business, Darren Purchase and Kath Claringbold. The reason I wanted to get them into the show is because I know just how hard it is to run a hospitality business. And I can't imagine the kind of stresses it would cause when you're running it with your partner. So I wanted to find out all the juicy details behind the domestic as well as the business partnerships. You know what I mean, the tiffs, the fights, all those things that happen along the way. But what I got instead were stories about Ed Sheeran, a billionaire con artist, and believe it or not, a Greek island filled with stolen artifacts. It's lovely to have you in the studio. Kath Larenbolt, Darren Purchase, the busiest <laughs> hospitality couple in the world, I reckon. <laughs> and I'm looking at two tired people. You do everything. Your faces are everywhere. Not only MasterChef, and I think, Darren, that's where people probably go, yeah, Darren Purchase, yeah. MasterChef. But, you know, authors. So we've got books out there. You're ambassador for the biggest morning tea yeah. uh, for the Council Council of Victoria, Correct. which is amazing. Um, and major players in things like the races and the Grand Prix and are pretty much every out. I think when I look at Instagram, you're everywhere <laughs> all the time. And I go, how do you do that? We do a lot of event work. We're very lucky. Um, it's fortunate. because I help him behind the scenes. <laughs> and go, <laughs> Darren, you're doing this. So there's a lot to talk about. So I thought what we do, because you're both uh, hospitality heroes for, for many people. Oh, thank you. So I thought what we do is we kind of split you up to start off with and yep. then bring you together. And so a bit of background on you, Kath, bit of background on you, Daz, and then when you met as a couple, because... Obviously, you're a couple in yeah. and out of the business, which is correct. interesting stuff. At work and at home, uh, in all aspects of life, it's very exciting. So, Kath, we've got to rewind the clock a little bit. How far? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think we should do, and we'll, we'll go quite a way back and then we can speed it up. Okay. Where, where did the interest in food start for you? Because it's a very different path to what you're on right now. Um, it, it started at home with my family. Um, my parents really loved restaurants. Um, but I grew up in country Victoria, so I didn't really know what a restaurant was at all. Where's country Victoria? Where um, it? it was Bacchus Marsh. Ah. So where all the lettuce and apples and everything yeah. were coming from. I was eating fantastic produce, but I didn't really know about the restaurant experience. And I kind of fell into it accidentally because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay. Were you a good girl at school? Were you a bad girl at school? I was a bad girl. Were you? Girl. Were you a bad girl? I was girl? a bad... Come on, give us a I was a, I was a pain for my parents. I really were was, you? yeah. What I was made, that? Um, I was the youngest. Um, they had their own business. Um, everyone had left home. I had a very rebellious brother or a troublemaking brother who I idolised and I think I took a little bit of a feather. So what's rebellious? Um, was it was it naughty verging on criminal? Because uh, I've got that in my in Mandy, my wife's well, family. We've I, got naughty verging on criminal. I tried, <laughs> I tried um, to push the boundaries of criminal but um, no one would. I remember one day specifically wanting to be arrested, but, you know, that, it didn't look like <laughs> that anyone. That was really that, in your mind. It was in my mind because, I, yeah, I was like I was annoyed and and I was, yeah, I was troubled. Was, was that because uh, Bacchus Marsh back then was quiet, it sleepy, was nothing to do? Is that horrible, boring, really didn't have anything to offer yeah. at all. So, um, so school, not a great place for you? Or? Um, I didn't. I enjoyed school up to a, probably about 14 and then I just, then I had that view that um, my teachers were all dickheads, can I yeah. say that? And I, it really was a waste of time and I couldn't see what I was being taught. I couldn't see how anything I was being taught was going to help me in later life. This must have drove your parents mad. I was, yeah, I was, it was hard. Yeah. And so what drove you into, because you, you became a chef, right? Was that right? Is that how? Um, yes. I, I actually got, I needed to earn money. So I took a job at a local roadhouse, which um, on the Western Highway, and because I wanted to buy a car as fast as I could. <clears throat> and while I was there, um, the, my bosses said to me, "We could send you off to Melbourne to do an apprenticeship." And I said, 
can I swear? <laughs> no, <laughs> if you want to no, swear, no. we just. <laughs> I said, no, I said no, thank you. I will. Um, I, and then I said I, I'll go and I'll go to the city and get a job, and that's what I did. And I started working at the art centre, which was hilarious because there were no female chefs in that in those days. There was one woman there at the time, and that was all. And I rocked up for an, for a um, interview wearing a houndstooth dress because I was into ska music. Didn't know that chefs wore checks. Um, and they said, they laughed, that, that's hilarious, you're hired. <laughs> and then they put me into the sandwich section and I said, you know, so I had to fight for that. I had to say, come on, guys, I need to get out of here. I really want to learn how to cook. And then from there the world just opened up and I met people and um, the very first sort of serious job was um, working for Jeff Slattery and that was amazing. That that was the game changer for me. Yeah. That was when I went, oh, this is what this is about. And why, I discovered why was it amazing? the art centre was an incredible experience with lots of people. It was a it was it was a different kind of life for me. It was party time really. Um, but Slattery's was about produce. It was really getting back to the roots of really great food. It was in the time of um, you know King Island. You know, just like King Island cream, and all of a sudden there was. Produce. I was tasting things like Morton Bay bugs. I didn't know all of this stuff existed. French cheeses. We were making our own sourdough. Everything was done from scratch the hardest possible way in a tiny little kitchen that didn't even have... We, the chef at the time, Chris, um, was an ex-sailor and we didn't have enough bench space so he'd go out and tie planks together with string and make benches and we'd roll out pasta and whisk egg whites in copper, you know, one souffle at a time. You know, 60-seater restaurant, really hard work. It was amazing. I loved it. And it was, um, they would say, say to me, and I knew nothing about restaurants still, and they'd say, I want you to go to John Smith's and get such and such. And I'd go, no worries. And I'd get my good food guide. Where, where the hell's that? And then, and then drive and do my job. Um, yeah, it was, and really from there I just wanted to aim higher and higher and So higher. was that a period of inspiration? Did it get you, you know, we've gone from troublesome teenager who I was still pretty obviously wild, exploited but... <laughs> their first job to have a good time in Melbourne. <laughs> and now we're at Slatteries who work in every hour under the sun, I yeah, assume. Yeah. So things have changed quite dramatically. I was a little bit naughty at trade school um, still. I was doing my apprenticeship, but um, we got there in the end. And, um, yeah, I just decided... It, Did it, it go hand in hand, the naughtiness and the hard work? I mean... I think it's so. It's that kind of Anthony Bourdain, you know, the waifs and strays, the waifs and strays, you know, the periphery of society working in kitchens. Yeah. I, I like the insanity. I like the, pre- I love the pressure. And I also love the release of going, you know, at that time before King Street got really grotty, we'd go straight down to the nightclub straight after work. You know, Jacques Raymond was just in town at Mietta's. And after that, I'd go and after work, I'd go out and have my bowl of sorbet late at night and a glass of scotch and I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And, um, yeah, so from from there I um, decided that I was going to aim, you know, keep trying to um, – Jeff sold his restaurant, so that was the end of that anyway. And I went for a job with Tansy and mm. uh, missed out on that because <clears throat> someone was coming back and then someone got sick at Stephanie's and they called me in and I got that job. So I sort of moved in a different circle to a lot of, a lot of other people that I ended up working with. I really wanted to travel overseas but never really got the opportunity. Yeah. But the restaurants you mentioned at the time were the best they were, in that space. Tansy it, Good, you know, people probably don't even remember now. And also Stephanie, it's it's a generation that's passing yeah. and people don't connect it anymore with the restaurant that it was but the thing that she does now, yeah. which is the Kitchen Garden Foundation. You know, that was... So it was a great time. It was incredible. I was incredibly lucky. And it was in a time when um, Rocket was delivered in a bunch the back door, but the back door by someone who grew it in Red Hill. It wasn't in supermarkets, or it was all of this beautiful produce mm. that I got to work with there. Um, yeah, great experience. And then I decided to sort of break out on my own. And if I fast forward and chop out all the middle parts, <laughs> um, I applied for a job, went on as a head chef, and found my business partners um, from that era, and ended up opening nine restaurants, having three hundred and fifty full-time staff, yeah. nearly killing myself with stress. But that was an incredible time. So we're talking about Mecca? Mecca, Mecca Bar. Mecca Bar, Live Bait. Yeah. What were the other ones? Uh, there were other ones that were sort of, um, there was a 
It's they such were the a long big story. Ones that everybody will remember. Yeah, Certainly. and then there were other ones that were um, a business partner had really wanting to keep cash coming in, so we mm. um, set up a place called Barbosh out in Knox, which was an unbelievable nightmare. To the opening night, a quick story because it's really funny. Opening night, the we had to um, deliver this restaurant very quickly to fulfil a need for the developers. Someone had fallen out. My business partner had said, yeah, we can do that. I opened the restaurant first night. Everyone goes home. I say, I'll lock up. There's no barrels in the door locks. There's no way of securing the building. <laughs> so I slept in the restaurant, in the restaurant. that night. That's commitment. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but I you was... would have been thinking, oh, my goodness, the cost of fit-out alcohol equipment, everything, and if I just leave it, especially out there, yeah. Yeah. it's just going to get knocked off. Yeah. So, okay. and I remember I was saying to Dave, the producer, because he's younger than we are, yeah. and I was saying I remember a time, you, you probably don't remember it, but you rocked up out the back of Phoenix, so this would have been early in the 2000s, I reckon, Yeah. in a silver Mercedes. Yeah, I did. Um, was Darren there then? Darren was working. I think, yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. When we met. So Kath rocks up to the back of the restaurant in a convertible silver Mercedes and it must have been very early on in the piece at Phoenix, so Ray, Capaldi and my restaurant. And we were at that stage where it was just we were working so hard and you rock up and I went, that's Kath Claringbold. She has <laughs> hey, made it. Gaz, I still she drive a Mercedes. Absolutely made it's it. a veto van. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they were heady times, right? They were, you would have been yeah. absolutely, and rightly so, at the top of your game. And um, oh, thank you. Living, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think so because everybody knew who you were. Careering you were, out of control. Is that what it was? Um, I think so. Um, business partners need to open multiple businesses. It was, and I was built in such a way that if someone said, you need to do that, I'd say, okay, I'll work out how I can do that. I mean, we opened three restaurants in the space of three days. We opened Mecca Bar Live Bait and that place out at, uh, out at Knox mm. within three days. So that was recruiting staff opening. We opened them on different days. It was blistering. I don't think I slept. I certainly aged dramatically through that. <laughs> I didn't sleep for about 10 years. Incredible times. Um, it was just, yeah, it was high stress and adrenaline. and Yeah. So so crazy times, heady times, and at the peak of your career. So rolling up at the back of Phoenix, is that when you met Darren? When, when was that? Would that? No, we, um, we met in Brisbane in 2004. I had just opened Mecca Bar in Brisbane in Fortitude Valley. And Darren was um, on the um, program for... Brisbane Food and Wine Festival, and as the um, newest restaurant in town, I was hosting all of the major parties and all of the um, important guests from overseas. And um, I had been in Brisbane for six months working on this restaurant on my own a lot of the time, and um, a friend of mine in Brisbane felt really sorry for me and felt I needed to be, you know, hooked up with someone. And at the, <laughs> at the cocktail party... Um, that opened the Brisbane Food and Wine Festival, she introduced me to Darren and he was with his head chef at the time, Andrew Turner, who I could not stand. And I instantly categorised Darren and Aaron and Andrew as the same person and it was like, oh, forget about it, don't even talk to me. So I was, it was a bit of a cold, frosty start <laughs> until we got to um, the dinner that was hosted at my restaurant and... Um, I smoked at that time and so did Darren. We ended up outside in a quiet spot having a cigarette and I said, do you want to get out of here? And he said, yeah, and we went to a bar in town and the rest is history, pretty wow. much. Wow. What time? Hey, I want to get, get out of here. You can Let's see it, a little dark corner. Because huh? that's what yeah. chefs do, right? A little dark corner yeah. somewhere behind the restaurant. Do you want to get out totally of here? Totally antisocial and, uh, yeah. What the hell were you doing in Brisbane? Well, it was a, that's another funny story <laughs> because I, I had no plan, no idea that I was ever going to end up living in Australia. Um, it was, I mean, you, you, if you're from the same sort of background as me working in those kitchens back in London, you know, Australia was like another world. I, how, how would I ever get there? I, I had no idea that this place existed or they had restaurants over there. I was just working my ass off in London um, and this Brisbane Masterclass opportunity arose after um, 
an Australian chef called Shane Osborne. I'm yeah. sure everyone knows. Yeah, from was, Pied a Terre at the Pied time. Pied a Terre, where he was working in London. He had, I think he had two Michelin stars at the time. Yeah. He was invited to be the guest chef um, in Brisbane, um, but he his passport had expired. He couldn't get back into his own country. <laughs> and um, my head chef, Andrew Turner, I was working at a hotel called Bentley Hotel in mm. Knightsbridge. Um, and... They um, approached Andrew Turner and said, can you come out to Australia and present a, a masterclass in three days? Um, and he said, yeah, okay, so long as I can take Darren because, uh, you know, we got on quite well and I'd bust out a bit of mise en place for him and let him uh, <laughs> let him, let him socialise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I said, yeah, yeah, for sure, I'd love to go. And then all of a sudden, sort of a few days later, I was, I was in Brisbane and I was thinking, how the hell did I get here? This place is fantastic. The weather's awesome. Um, you know, I just couldn't believe it. And then I met Kath and um, I wasn't great in social situations then. So <laughs> I'm sort of, you know, having a drink in the corner and Kath and I met and when she said, do you want to get out of here? I just thought, this is a, this is a great opportunity to get, get to know this person yeah. who, um, who looks... I mean, I knew nothing about her background. I didn't really know that she had a profile. I didn't really know anyone with a profile then. Um, but we... Got on really extremely well, and we seem to like the same sort of things. We music brought us music, together. Music, you know. Music? Well, we talk about, um, you know, we, we both sort of love the Clash and um, ska music, and um, uh, all. Kath has introduced me to some music she loved that I now love, and vice versa. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, we we got on extremely well. We we found we love the same things. We love great restaurants. We love, you know. Uh, working hard and rewarding yourself at the yeah. end of the day with a glass of wine. and. But how long were you in Australia for? Well, so I was only there for five days. So how can you figure out? Did, <laughs> well, so how did this, I, I, we just really got on. And we, so how did this stick? Because that moment well, could have come and gone. I mean, if some yeah, you know, exactly. good-looking chick had said to me with a cigarette in the corner, <laughs> let's get out of here and go to the bar, I don't know if that would have turned into a long-term relationship. Well, what happened was we <laughs> we spent the five days together. Yeah. Right. Um, so... So stuff Brit Andrew Turner. He can yeah, go, yeah. He, he was, can go and do what he wants. Well, he to do. was off being head chef, you right. know, and he was schmoozing, schmoozing with the all the boys. right people. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just, you know, I'll bust out a bit of mise en place for him. We'll get demo ready, and then I'll, I'll go out and meet Kath. But um, uh, I was lucky enough to have a fishing trip arranged for me after the five days, and it was in Noosa, and um, there was a, a restaurateur called Jim Barado. Yep. Yeah, and. Um, it was arranged, it was very fortunate that I could stay at his house with Andrew Turner. It was um, arranged that I would go up there and do a fishing trip and stay at his house and it was a very generous offer. And I I'm had coincidentally, prior to all of this, booked my first day off and I booked a hotel in Noosa. And it was at the same time, but we didn't realise. <laughs> we so, didn't realise. Um, he said, I'm going to do something. It sounds do like, to start off with, that Australia just put on a hard sell scheme <laughs> to Darren Purchase because you went all to the best, the was, best places. Yeah, you must be thinking, yeah. boy, oh, boy well, out of London, hey, wait, wait this is a dream. Wait till he gets to Melbourne. He goes, what? This is Well, I was. I, 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 so we spent, the, we spent a couple of days in Noosa and, um, you know, we'd sort of arranged, we'd sort of said, you know, let's let's try and continue this, Kath said she would book a trip um, and come and see me in London. So then I, I returned to London and I said to everyone, right, I've met a girl. Australia's an amazing place. I'm going to try and work my way. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm coming to Australia. And that was basically my decision that I, I took. And Andrew could see why. You know, I was smitten and I was coming back and showing everyone the photos of this amazing place and the, the weather was, you know, awesome. I didn't know anything about Melbourne. In, I'm glad you put that in that order, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I didn't know anything about Melbourne. Um, so, so up to this point, I'm loving the story. Because <laughs> I didn't know this. I've known you two for quite a while and I didn't know any of this and I think it's brilliant. And, of course, then you end up in Melbourne. Yeah. So, like, completely the opposite. You've gone from, you know, this beautiful idea of what Australia's <laughs> best can offer... Although Melbourne's much no, the same, Melbourne's but beautiful. it's a, it's a yeah. I understand it coming from London, and I've employed lots of people out of London over the years. They come thinking they're going to live a home and away life, yeah, and then they come <laughs> they come to Melbourne and discover that it's actually a big city, very cosmopolitan, and they're working just as hard, if not harder. Yeah, I, than I, they did I think I've worked harder back home. in Australia. Yeah, um, I think many of us have got the same. Yeah, story. I had no idea, and I didn't I didn't know that anyone in Australia knew anything about food. I was quite arrogant, you know. I believe that my whole world in 
in London was the yeah. place to be. And I, w- I don't know what I was expecting, but I, I guess fast forward, Kath visited me in London for a holiday and then we we really decided that we wanted to, you know, try and make this work. So um, it took me uh, a, a, probably about a year, 12 months to get everything ready and get out to Australia. And came via Greece, did a quick stint in Greece. I and, worked for a billionaire and in his house. that's a whole other story as <laughs> there's, well. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff. How long we got, between. Dave? The yeah. <laughs> We'd love a story. Can we, can we have a story? Uh, Greece. Yeah, who was the billionaire? Uh, he was like a shipping... Um, magnate I guess uh, and he was Greek and he it was a, an island called Skinusa and it's on the Cyclade Islands group of islands but it often doesn't show up on the map because it's really tiny there's like 500 people live on this island but it can swell to 2,000 in the summer you know with tourists um, and he owned a house on the point um, which was one of the only beaches on the island and it was a private beach for him and he had a bunch of Aussies working in his household, I guess. And I think um, Kath helped me uh, secure that job. It paid quite well. And I was um, working there as his pastry chef, drinking all of his wine. And, but, uh... but spending his days <laughs> cooking amongst all these amazing treasures like sculptures and yeah, I I was noticing all of this. All of this. I was going, wow, that's stuff. that's an incredible monument. Or that that um that egg over there looks quite expensive, and this marble. And um, I, I think if you Google it now, there's um the, the caretaker has been done for. Uh, it's all stolen. Stolen. Yeah. Um, pirates. Priceless <laughs> Greek artifacts for dredged up from the Aegean. Yeah. That are you know, and yeah. I I was literally just sort of hanging around with this stuff, and often I didn't have a lot of work to do because the family were away. You know, there's nothing for me to do. So yeah. this is what happens, was, Kath, when you take a boy from Guildford, yeah, right, <laughs> shove him into a hotel in London, and then what? Eight years later, end up on a Greek island working for a billionaire. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. never thought of pocketing a little. A little well, I, I wish I had. I wish I had. But um, no, it uh, it was yeah, it was fun time. I was slowly getting my way over to um, Australia. So before very slowly. before you came to Oz, did you have a particular idea of where your career was going? Because you worked at the Savoy, you worked at Browns, yeah. Um, your head pastry chef at um, the Goring Hotel. The Goring Hotel. Yeah. yeah. So I would kind of. So you got a solid yeah. kind of traditional pathway as a great pastry chef in Thanks. the making in London. Yeah, I, I started out. In where Greece. were you going? At I started that time? out in Greece, washing up. Um, and I didn't know I wanted to be a chef. This is prior. This is prior. Okay, yeah. so rewind right. before then. Yeah. Lots um, of timing. And then place. I just went for a good time. You had a ponytail, guys. Oh, you got to make, if you've got hair, <laughs> I reckon you just go for the ponytail. Yeah. If Neil Perry can rock it for 60 years. It was a time. Then yeah. you can have one. Yeah, it was a time. And luckily uh, there was no Instagram or anything then. So there's not a lot of evidence yeah, of, of very this lucky. bad look that there's I the, had. There's the odd photo. I'd like yeah. to see one on Instagram. Please. Can you find one? And I will. Yeah, I can find one. And uh, I, basically I worked the summer, summer season. I was washing up and all of the chefs kept leaving because apparently it wasn't a great job. Um, it was a two-week menu though in a water sports resort. So by the end of the <clears> summer I knew the menu and it was very basic in hindsight. Um, but I, I was captivated by kitchens. I just loved like the hustle and bustle. And I think the chef um, said to me, "Can you, can you become a chef and do the last couple of months? Because always chefs, chefs keep le- keep leaving, and you know, you know the menu." And I went, "Yeah, great." So I loved it. I was in there all the time, and I, I would I would just spend all day in there, and while everyone was trying to get out and enjoy the sun, I just really loved being inside the kitchen. I'd kind of, I think I had these romantic ideas that I was this creative chef now, even though I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, I would, you know, fill it uh, an orange, like do orange segments and think that I was a chef. I came but when back, you le- when you yeah. first learn how to do that, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you can rewind the clock that I far. I can remember you doing have, it. I think it's quite, you go, wow, yeah. that's fancy. I, I did. <laughs> Unnecessary, <laughs> but fancy. <laughs> I do, I do. Um, and I came back to the UK and um, told my mum, chef now, and she she just started laughing at me. You know, she said, I've been cooking for 40 years, Darren. You don't start telling me how to do the dinner. Um, and so I I thought, right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and make this happen. So I went to work for that same company in France for the winter season. So I was a chef in a restaurant in France, still unqual um qualified. And after that, I went to work in Jersey, um, where I went to um 
school, catering school, one day a week, and I got my city and guilds. Um, and then came back to London and and said, right, well, I I need a job. I went to the Savoy Hotel for an open day. I saw an advert in the Evening Standard, and they said there's an open day for chefs. And I saw some guy making peach melba um, and telling the story of how it was invented in this hotel. And I was just, I I, I had to work there. It, <laughs> it blew my mind. I wanted to be a part of the history of this place. And they were saying all the famous people who stayed there. And and uh, in the kitchen, there was 120 chefs. And it was they showed me around. And it just looked like the mental place that I wanted to work at. And, and most people would stay there f- for a year and they would leave after 11 months and work give a 30 days notice because if you work there for a year you get a piece of paper certificate saying you work there for a year and they wouldn't do any more because it was such a tough place to work but i i was there for three and a half years my chef said darren you gotta leave soon you can't <laughs> <laughs> you can't stay here forever he so you've got to go. Hot kitchen too, or just uh, well, I started off. In, I started off in the Garden Manger making club yeah. sandwiches for room service, but I wanted to work in the pastry, so I was just pestering chef the whole time. Like, when can I and work why, in pastry? Why pastry? I just I went down there. It smelt nice, and I, <laughs> it's I a good thought, reason. Yeah, as any. I like it. <laughs> well, we used to have chef meetings in the cold fish, and like all these, it just stunk in there. And I just think, why can't we have meetings in pastry? Because it just it smells really nice. <laughs> it smells like croissant. It's nice and tidy. And... But I I really loved that there were there were bakers in there. They still had bakers then. They were making all their own vernoiserie and bread. They did all their own ice creams. They did chocolate. They did everything. There was like eight sections in the in the pastry section. And I just really wanted to work there. I just thought that's that's what I want to do. I yeah. I still love food, and I'd been cooking savory my whole time up until this point. In Jersey and in France and in Greece, I was cooking savoury. Yeah. But I wanted to work in the pastry and I got my opportunity and then I rose quickly through the ranks. It kind of makes sense now why you did Peach Melbourne on MasterChef to reinvent that moment. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And also why you've got a book on toasties. Exactly. Because yeah. I got the garden <laughs> section at the Savoy. I like it. It makes sense. I love making this series and I hope that you love listening too. If you do, subscribe and send us a message because believe it or not, we actually read those messages. What we want to know is what you think about the show, more importantly about the conversations that we have with our guests. We love hearing from you. That's what I'm trying to say. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One Australia or wherever you listen. And if you're feeling like it, maybe even recommend the show to a friend. You never know, they might find it as delicious as you do. So before you came to Australia, before you met Kath, yeah. where, where was the career going? Had, had you put your mind on opening a business or just being the exec pastry chef at a big yeah, hotel? Yeah, no, I had no plan. I he didn't, was living large. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was... I, I was um, How old were you Burning the then? candles. I think... Uh, <coughs> 2004, what was I? Th- I, was, I was like 29, okay. 20 to 30. So we're getting to a point where yeah. we're having to make... But I was still quite immature in my um, life choices. I would be out I know quite 60, often. I know sixty-year-olds that are doing yeah. the same thing. I'm quite jealous. <laughs> so it's okay. Um, so I didn't. I just. I had no plan. And and you know what it's like back in the UK. Like I. I never thought that there was an opportunity for me to have my own business. Um, I didn't think that I would ever get to write cookbooks or do anything like that. It was just. It was like a bit of a grind. I was on this. You know the hamster wheel and yeah. I was just going and I was just working all day every day and then going out and having a few drinks and then not sleeping very well and then going back to work mm. and it's all work and then obviously if if you're in that all work all play then you are burning yeah. the candle on both ends it's not the healthiest lifestyle no i and i literally had no plan about where where i was going um i was pr- pretty lost looking back at it mm. i didn't really know and i i feel very fortunate that i had this opportunity and i landed in melbourne and I said, where's the sun? <laughs> Brisbane was sunny. Um, but we, I moved in with Kath in St Kilda and she gave me the good food guide and said, you better get a job. Yeah. Um, and, you, and so to be honest, when you put your resumes <laughs> together, because here you worked at Vue you worked at Phoenix for yeah. a period of time with us. Yeah. Uh, you were a consultant chef with George, I remember. Correct. In, in the maid group. Yep. So expanding that. Because remember, I think the wagon wheels turned up at... 
yeah. your version of the wagon <laughs> wheel turned up about them, which we were like, this is incredible. So you've got resumes to die for. When did the idea of putting your experience together and, and starting a pastry shop that you'd never dreamt of well, back this, in England? Well, once I'd landed in Australia, I'd realised that there was opportunity out here for someone who, who's passionate and someone who can work hard. It seemed that things were more achievable um, or attainable. There's if, um, less rules. It, it, it was, you know, I mean, we're really fortunate in Melbourne where you can open up a business in almost anything, a shipping container or you can do whatever. Yeah. And I think, um, and we're also, that business sort of came around in the time, we we had a break from what we were doing and we started consulting from home. We worked, we, I think we spent about three years working together from home doing different sorts of assignments. They were really varied. Darren did some work in Spain um, and Twitter and Twitter had just started and we were starting to learn that whole kind of thing and it just seemed like it would be a really cool idea to open, you know, Darren was making custom cakes to people, for people um, at home and we were doing classes and all sorts of stuff um, and we were living, it was like the greatest three years because we called our own hours, a little bit scary sometimes because you didn't know where a buck was going to come from but... Um, we caught our own hours. We played a lot of Wii, t- Wii t- what do you call it, Wii Sport. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> Wait, it, but, what, basically what happened was... These are the little things. When people go into yeah. your shop now, yeah. they're going to go in and go, Wii Sport. Yeah. I know. You know? I know. So um, can you can you just paint us a picture <laughs> of Daz and Kath playing Wii Sport? No. Uh, we, Come on. Well, no, what, look, what happened was Kath, Kath, <laughs> Kath's businesses were um, came to an abrupt end. Um, well, they did for me. I had to get out. I, my health was, you know. Her health, yeah, was not great. Her stress levels were through the my roof. My body that, was falling the, apart. What did that look like to you? Well, it was quite scary um, and I could see that, I, I mean, it. Kath did not look very well and she was, I mean, she's always worked extremely hard. I just couldn't believe the amount of hours she was putting in and I think the last sort of throws at trying to make the business work was in Canberra. She had a restaurant in Canberra and she was just doing everything, getting up, like <sighs> stupid hours. Three businesses in one kind of location. So I'd do breakfast shift in the morning, um, then open up Mecca Bar. It was sort of like the first business was a breakfast um, wine and cheese provador. It was like the wine and cheese provador in Melbourne. And then Mecca Bar would open, uh, Mecca Bar would open for lunch and dinner and there was a cocktail bar that would go into the late night and... I yeah, I just sort of worked, walked this circuit for about six months, and I remember I had we had to be rushed to hospital. Both my knees <laughs> imploded; I couldn't even walk because I just I'd rush in for surgery. And how did um, you feel about that at the time? Yeah, I, I, I felt you know extremely sad. I could see <laughs> that um, I could see that this whole empire or. This this thing that Kath had built, and it was successful because of Kath and her work ethic and her talent, was being eroded in the background by. There were others involved in it, other you know, forces. other people. As, yeah, as things as things happen in life, but you know that's. So that was kind of coming to an end. So was there a point where who who made the decision? Did you turn around to Kath and go, "You're going to die if you keep doing this"? Or? No, I made the decision. And what, what was the... Uh, um, I think it was my third trip to hospital for something. For, third? Yeah. So the first one <laughs> no, didn't no, send you I, any I, messages. I was third I trip. was like a machine. You know, I would literally, I could work 100 mm. hours a, a, a week without any hesitation. I really, you, you gave me a challenge. I would go, okay, I can do that. Mm. And so I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And I wasn't smart enough to see at the time that I probably should get out. I wish I'd got out a lot sooner. Yeah. But benefit of hindsight. That yeah. was a wonderful thing. But you learn so many things through lots of negative situations and um it certainly shaped the sort of business that we have to a degree, I guess. Well a lot. I think, you know, the mm. fact that we've still only got one shop as opposed to, you know, multiple, which is the tried and tested or uh, tested or the traditional route. You know, you open one, it's successful, you open, start opening more Kath has been very guarded against, uh, uh, well, guarded in our progression or our, you know, development as a business. She, whereas I, if if we weren't working together and I'd have had, you know, um, not Kath's benefit of hindsight, 
or wise words. Um, you know, I could possibly have just followed the same route, you know, where you're, you're opening stuff and yeah. and working. And you'd end up with a factory. Everyone's there. Four yeah. or five shops. Every, yeah. Everyone's there. Every developer's there to hand out money and, you know, sure. give you a fit-out contribution, yeah. all those sorts of things that are – and it's really easy to build a big group of restaurants, yeah. you know, before you know it, turn around. But – um, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not. It's not easy for them all to be profitable. Mm. But so. to but to paint the picture for people that haven't been to your shop. I mean, if I think if you live in Melbourne and you're a foodie, or but well, not just Melbourne. I mean, you, you get people from all over the world. Yeah, we if do. If people are listening to this and they haven't been to the shop, then it's kind of a Willy Wonka-ish, yeah. you know, wonderful shop with. I mean, it's got so many products in there. I mean, I go in there. I'm like, guys, don't look at them all. Because you, you're going to walk out a poor man. You've had some famous customers too, we, haven't you? We have lots. We're, Come on, tell us. Well, we're in the, that pocket, South Yarra, where, um, uh, you know, everyone sort of seems to congregate. So depending on what event it, it is on in town, you know, you'll get all the tennis players in for the Australian Open. We got to do Ron and Keating's wedding. Yeah, the, that's yeah. right. I, I remember really you telling awesome. me a story about transporting a cake, I think. Was that for Ron and Keating's we wedding? We took 220 kilos of handmade chocolate and equipment to um, Scotland via Heathrow and to drive a van from Heathrow to Scotland. And we spent three days preparing on a golf course um, in Berwick, North Berwick. Yeah, it was, um, it was remote, but it was beautiful. Where there were deer jumping around the property and bunnies. Yeah. It was just, it was so ridiculous. the Scotland we all imagine. It was, yeah, and there you exactly. are with 250 kilos of kit well, trying you, to put together you, a cake. You know when you do, you know, a gig overseas or somewhere, you don't know what the kitchen's going to be like. So I, I make sure that I can pull off an event if if asked. So that means preparing as much as possible mm. and taking it with me because you never know what you're going to get there. Um, so it, it, there was kind of a dessert bar set up or, or you know, confectionery bar of, lolly table or whatever you want to call it sweet station so we did that but the cake we made there um so we got some local produce and just sort of we whipped up something quite simple but Scottish it was it was like amazing that. yeah and it was it was Daz had to um elbow with ed sheeran for the limelight that night well <laughs> <laughs> tell us more um so they wanted the cake set up um, all day for people to sit, or all evening for people to see it. But of course, because it's a fresh cake, can't sit out for hours. So I kind of made a dummy cake and it was out on display. And they said they were going to cut the cake at about seven o'clock. So I, I was not drinking. We're on a very um, lovely table as guests and we're all dressed up. But I, I wanted to make sure that the cake went, you know, got cut properly and distributed probably properly before I, you know, um, started to relax. Um, and it was quite a theatrical wedding. So everyone was, um, performing at some point. There were songs and so much crying and, you know, it was was beautiful. (laughs) Um, but it was, it was dragging on a bit (laughs) about 10 o'clock. They hadn't cut the cake and I was just panicking the whole time. And then they said, right, we're going to cut the cake. So that meant that I had to go into the kitchen, grab the real cake and do a bit of a swap. So I went into the kitchen and... Um, in the meantime, um, I, they had a surprise um, guest yeah, song for... So, S- um, Ronan had organised Ed for Storm. For as his, you do, yeah. you just, you know... So Ed, and so Ed, Ed Sheeran's in the us. kitchen uh, with the, with his guitar and I'm standing by the door... <laughs> with uh, your cake. With, with, and he's in front of me. <laughs> and I said, what are you doing then? He said, well, I'm, I'm doing the music. <laughs> he, said, he said, "Did you know? Did you know who he was? Well, not really, went, kind it. of. Yeah. It, well, I mean, yeah, I knew who he was. And he said, "What are you doing?" I said, well, "I'm doing, I'm doing the catering." <laughs> <laughs> and I had the cake, so we swapped spots. I went on first, and I swapped the cake over. <laughs> um, and then Ronan and Storm came over and and cut the cake, which was the cue for the first dance. So. I did all of those verines, the dessert tubes, and they got distributed amongst the guests as the music started and they they and all the guests huddled round the dance floor with a dessert, Birch and Purchase dessert, and <laughs> um the music came on, it was Ed Sheeran's song, and Storm had her back to the stage and they started dancing and of course he sneaked on and then he started singing um, the we started drinking. Yeah, we started drinking. <laughs> he started singing the first line and she turned around and was like, oh my God, it's Ed Sheeran. And then it just turned into this, you know, amazing evening of, 
him getting up and yeah. <laughs> playing a few tunes. And he was also sitting next to us on our table, so we had a spare seat. Has he popped so, into the shop? No. No, I don't think he yeah. really knows much. He just remembers a guy with a cake. Yeah. He's yeah, somewhere exactly. doing a podcast, <laughs> telling the same story. Oh, I hope so. But, but uh, yeah. yeah, a guy with a cake. <laughs> We've been very lucky to do um That was the you know, most challenging logistically, that one. Yeah, that was, yeah. you know, I had to hold flowers on in a flight, chocolate flowers, and make sure they weren't smashed in. For 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. we took a lot of stuff. Like I said, you you never know what you're going to get over there. You don't know if if he likes to pack a lot. You've obviously had some amazing experiences, and also, I mean, working together. So in business together. So not, we're not just working together. We're in business together, and you live together as well. Yeah, incredible times. What are the not so incredible times? Is there a point where you've just gone, this is not going to work? I think there's always. I think there's always tough times, especially in business. But I can honestly say that pretty much we have we have no hassles it's it's remarkable to me because um you know historically restaurant couples never survive yeah. you know there's a there's you know records of that across decades um and i was a little bit hesitant i wondered how we would go but i think those three three years that we worked together at home i knew we'd be fine and we really genuinely are fine yeah, we love each other's company. There's, totally. there's, I mean, there's pressures in business, of course, and and you know, there's there's a couple of times you know, Kath could snap or I could snap at her at work, but it, it's very minimal in terms of we spend every single like, moment of every single day together. And I just feel extremely lucky that I've met someone that I can share my entire life with, and um, we laugh all day, we listen to music, we. Um, you know, we 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 confide in each other and we support each other. Um, when I'm and, going crazy at Telstra, Darren's calming me down. Yeah, <laughs> or if when I'm, he's going crazy at yeah, you know, two thousand desserts that aren't going anywhere, and you're calming him down. Yeah, so we just it it, it really works. But what's the secret, though? What do you reckon it is? Because it is unusual. I mean, Mandy and I, my wife and I, tried working together, and Mandy said to me, "She goes, you're horrible at work." <laughs> and I said, what do you mean I'm horrible? And she said, you're just really direct and because she'd never experienced yeah. me in a professional environment yeah. before. And then all of a sudden she's at Phoenix yeah. and going, I don't like this at all. So we I tried it for a while and then went, you know what, it's better we stay, we keep keep it business and personal apart. I guess um, for me, I mean, I was running kitchens and I was direct. And even though I'm an introvert, I mean, that's that's a, that's another success, really. I'm introverted. He's extroverted. He loves the limelight. I do not. I had to do that in an earlier life, but I don't really. Um, so we. So you don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I don't have any interest in it at all. Um, it isn't a need I need to fulfil. And but I, having been there and done it, I also know that I can support incredibly well. Mm. Um, so he does the things I don't want to do. I do things that he doesn't want to do. We both really love what we've created in the shop. We both really love the, we love the reaction of people that walk in for the very first time that we tried to create something that had so much going on that people would be wowed for the whole time they were in there and I think we've done that really well. Um, and we get to laugh a lot and, yeah, it's just... It's it's easier to, I mean, had had we've been doing this business together like independently so, say for example it was just sort of me and Kath was doing something else I, I would probably be a different person Kath um, teaches me to behave myself sometimes you know kind of I've kind of changed the way that I am as a person working with Kath mm. and so. vice versa I, Darren has taught me not to stress out about um, certain things that you know I mean the classic line he said to me you know you, you literally, you, you work in retail. You can't be offended by, you know, you've got to, Yeah, you, know, you work in a shop, Kath, you know, so. Don't be, you don't can't be offended by by people, mm. you know. Um, so he has really, he's brought out all the best characteristics in me and, and, we, and we keep growing on that every day. And working through pressures in business together is easier than doing it on your own. Um, and we're quite creative. We're obviously a very good team together and we've got um, a lot of skills and a lot of experience among us in, in, in our years. So um, we've got a, a great chance of, you know, make, making this business work, which is, 
you know, it's it's hard to run a business. Well, these people days. that work for you, I mean, they're you know in the presence of two people that have been. In, I mean, what's the combined experience? You, oh, you, oh, it's it's what a is lot. It, Fifty years or it's, sixty years? Oh, it's years? more than it's close. fifty. Fifty. Years. I, I get. I guess because <laughs> it's a lot. I guess some of the guys uh, who work for us, if they listen to this podcast, they'd be probably be quite surprised that Caf had a profile of restaurants. You know, it's kind of a new generation. They, well, they're, they're young. When yeah, I walk they're, in, they're I look young. how young they are. Yeah. I'd see them behind the glass. And they wouldn't yeah. know that Just I'm getting old. Was a, was a chef <laughs> yeah. um, because they see her running around. But do they the see the creative process between you or in the business? Is, it for, is the kind of delineation really, you know, clear? Our kitchen door and our retail space are open spaces. And so we all work together. All of us work together. The whole team. Um, in, you know, there's no sort of, there's no separation. So even the girls who work in the front, most of them are qualified pastry chefs and they'll come in and roll cookies and they help, you know, most, we pack everything in that on that marble table. And most of our business decisions happen on that table. Most of our business meetings happen on that table. Every now and again we'll have a brainwave and Darren will say to everyone, you've just seen us having a business meeting. <laughs> um, it is, it's really like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not... It's fun. And doing stuff that you love to do and so busy and you also get a little bit of chance to do some acting as well. <laughs> what the hell Le- In the loosest doing? sense of the word, I, you know, um, I, I'm, f- I'm so thrilled to uh, have had a cameo a couple of times on Neighbours. Um, yeah, not just once. It was yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, it was a couple of times. They asked I'm, you back. I, well, I'm angling for a third. But um, So if Jason is listening to this, Jason Herbertson, the executive producer, I'll be happy to come back. <laughs> you've got another storyline and a plot you <laughs> yeah, want to Oh, yeah, yeah. You've got a pitch storyline. So you've got um, your product at... Uh... Yeah, so it's funny. Um, people say, you know, where can we buy your products? You know, can we get them anywhere, anywhere else in Australia? And we always, we, we laugh and say, you can get them on Chapel Street and Ramsey Street because our <laughs> products are stocked in Harold's store on Neighbours. Um, and that's just such fun for us. If It's very subliminal and it's in the background. You'll often see one of the characters stocking the shelves with our products. So that's fun. And my cookbooks are also found on set. So if ever a um, characters flicking through a book. It's often, it's often one of my cookbooks. They're very generous to me. They get, <laughs> but they know I'm a huge Neighbours fan. Being from the UK, yeah. Um, so what I does your mum and dad? What do your mum and dad think of that? Because back in Guildford, yeah, that's well, the highlight of their. That's literally the best thing I've ever they've done. They've been on set. <laughs> oh, they've been out to Ramsey yeah, Street. Yeah. Well, where's the set? Is it two different places? I don't even know. There's. I Ramsey's, still see the bus going out. Yeah, there. Ramsey Street, the street. Um, which is close to the set it's in Nunawadding. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like Neighbours World. It's got its own postcode. There's hundreds of people work there and it's fantastic. They take it all extremely seriously. Art department are, are on with the props. It's yeah. unbelievable. They've got every single prop ever used in Neighbours and continuity on Neighbours is, is they always <laughs> throwing it back. Um, what they're do you fantastic think, seriously, team. when you when they went, I don't know what they do. Do they go action? Well, yeah, and you've got your bit. I what, actually, what were you thinking? Were you I thinking, actually did. I, I had a bit of a panic when they went action because they they no one checked with me. They didn't say, you know, have you learnt your lines? It, it, <laughs> I just rocked up, and they're assuming that. And I had obviously learnt my lines, but um, I I've never acted before, so I I asked one of the actors in the green room just for a quick acting, quick tips. Got two minutes. <laughs> what was it? I want to know it what was, the quick um, two minutes. What it, were the... it was don't wait until um, th- uh, your fellow actor finishes their sentence, jump in and start your line before, because otherwise it looks sort of staged. It looks like you're saying something and then and I'm then saying they something. say something. So yeah. I took that on board and... Um, I I'm an extra on that episode. Uh, you're yeah. an extra as well. Yeah. We had a Birch and Purchase episode where we set up a dessert bar to raise money um, for, for Toadie's new wheelchair because... <laughs> Um, Paul Robinson, who obviously knows all the chefs in Melbourne, organised for us to come in and we, yeah, we, unfortunately, Toadie was in a wheelchair for about three months because of us. I think that was the way they wrote us into the, (laughs) um, but yeah, it's fun. There's lots of people been on Neighbours, lots of UK people. I'm surprised you haven't been on there, guys. Yeah. You know what's interesting? My connection connection to Neighbours was my, before I left the UK, I was working at the, the Le Souffle at the Intercontinental yeah. and I was on straight shifts, unben- quite progressive at the time, to be honest, and I'd start at 2 o'clock, I think, in the afternoon, finish at 12, something like that, and I I had to leave the house when the neighbours theme tune <laughs> pinged up on the screen. <laughs> Weird, that wasn't it? Yeah, so it I'd was. be pottering around, i hear the neighbours theme tune and go, got to go, got to go. go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plans for the future, 
what's what's uh, on the horizon? Oh, gosh. Not 10 Birch and Purchase stores. We've always been conscious we want one special one, but we know we need to grow in the right yeah, way. Yeah, we, we, um, I guess we're still sort of working it out really, but the first thing is a bit of a holiday mm. to um, reset and recharge. Um, and we know what our end game is. What's the end game? And that's a... Um, pizza oven <laughs> somewhere in our backyard, far away from the city, growing lots of produce and... So food. is that the dream? You want to yeah. live yeah. out in country Victoria somewhere? Possibly. Or uh, um, back in the UK, would you move back uh, to the UK? I don't UK? think so. I think we love it over here too much. We, um, but, yeah. Not too food, far from the city, but far enough to be... Food-centric. You know, we want to be making sourdough every day. We want to be... Um, you know, cooking pizzas in our pizza oven. We want to be growing amazing produce you know, we and did, we preserving made, it. We learned how to make salami this year. That was Which is amazing. Yeah. yeah, and our, our salami is beautiful. Yeah. Well, Darren and Kat, <laughs> thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank we you. We could talk for hours. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'll get, you know, when I'm old, I'll get an invite down to that country you property. You bet you will. For sure. Salami. You're, yeah. you're first on the list, guys. Cheers. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. You all know that I've got a sweet tooth. I mean, let's be honest, most of us do. And one of my go-to quick dessert recipes is a quick chocolate mousse. And it's not something that goes in the refrigerator. This is a make and eat on the couch, if you will. Share, if you will. It's delicious. 200 grams of dark, unsweetened chocolate, preferably 70%. You know what I mean? You go to the supermarket, you look along the lines, you pick the one that's 70%. It's a little bit bitter. Coarsely chop it, melt it in the microwave. You add two teaspoons of either olive oil, or my preference is a hazelnut oil, because I'm a little fancy sometimes. And then you need one little tub of cream. They're normally about 350 mils of thickened cream. Lightly whip it, and then you're ready to go. You take a little bit of that whipped cream, and then you fold it into the melted chocolate and oil, and then you take the rest of that cream and then fold it through. And to be honest, it doesn't matter whether it's completely incorporated or not. I mean, we're not talking fancy. It's almost like a marbled effect. And you know what? Have a spoonful of that. It's light, it's delicious, it's warming, and it's addictive. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Swalensky with audio production by Darcy Thompson. Darcy Thompson.